1: That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500.
2: Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings at hundreds of stores, including Doc Martens, Ninja Kitchen, and Hotels.com. Prep for summer and save big on beauty, travel, electronics, and more. It's one of Rakuten's biggest cash back events, and it's on May 6th through May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cashback boost. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it.
1: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. (laughs) Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.
3: Graduation is a sweet occasion, but finding the perfect gift can be a bitter struggle. MMS.com has a solution.
4: And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg.
0: Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week, we come to you from Washington, D.C., the nation's capital, and in particular at the St. Regis Hotel, legendary hotel right here on 16th Street that has such history, uh, close to the White House, close to just about everything of importance and significance here in in Washington, and so much history being made. You know, if you're looking for a hotel with history, high ceilings, and a story to tell, you, you couldn't do better than this hotel. My next guest knows a little bit about this city. She's the style writer for the Washington Post, Roxanne Roberts. How are you?
5: Hey, Peter. How are you?
0: We live in interesting times.
5: We live in very interesting times.
0: And good time to be in D.C.
5: It's a very interesting time to be in D.C. Uh, One of the things I love about this city, there are many things I love about this city. I wasn't born here, but I am one of those transplants that have made it my home. And I think that we get the front row seat to history. And years, decades, centuries from now, people are going to write about everything that's happening right this minute. And I get a chance to see it up close. So I love that.
0: You've been here how long? 30 years. So they haven't found out.
5: They haven't kicked me out yet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So for someone who's never been to D.C. or who's been to D.C. but not really had a chance to dig deeper, where would you suggest they see the city for what it really is? Where would you suggest they go?
5: Well, like any city, there are all the tourist uh, places that are publicized. And honestly, you start there because it's great. You get a chance to get a sense of the history by seeing the archives and going to the Capitol and going to the Supreme Court. You know, I don't think a lot of people go to the court and there are tours of it. And so first you get a sense of why it even exists, which is that there was these crazy guys with the idea that maybe we would try democracy. <laughs> and so there are all the basic documents and uh, basically the history right there. And I will say even people who live in D.C. don't take full advantage of that. I think it's an important part. But the other part of it is the city, the people that created it in to the city it's become. And that's a really diverse mix of African Americans, of people from all around the country who have made this their home and settled here. And so 14th Street and U Street have become very vibrant and really interesting places to get a mix. Now, that's always been the goal of the city. We haven't always achieved it, but it's a really interesting way to see it.
0: For me, here I am, I travel 420,000 miles a year, traveling all over the world. And the thing that sticks in my head the most... Of course, was my junior high school class trip to Washington D.C. We took the bus. It was was the first time I could like look out a window and see something that wasn't Manhattan. And I'll never forget. I took the tour of the FBI. I I watched an agent fire a gun. I I, I looked at the Ten Most Wanted list. I then went to the Smithsonian. I walked along the Mall. I mean, I saw it was just and everything was larger than life. And guess what? It still is.
5: Well, I think that sometimes all those openings of movies, the helicopter shots that come in either down on the Lincoln Memorial or the Washington Monument, and it all seems very cinematic. But this town is full of people. And you may think that some of them are larger than life. You might think some of them are crazy. And right now, some people do. (laughs) But going to the court You get to see not—maybe if you're lucky, you get to see a Supreme Court justice, but you see all the people who have dedicated their lives to the process of our laws. And then you go to the Capitol, and you see— Not just the congressmen and the senators, but all the staffers, all the pages, all the young kids that come here with this idea that they want to make the country better in some way. And they've dedicated their life. And when you realize it's about people who've made the decision to come here to make something happen that they believe in, and sometimes there's a lot of disagreement, but it's a really vibrant way to turn textbook stuff into real people Real actions, real lives, real emotion. And I love that.
0: Well, going back to what you said, you can literally reach out and touch history. There's just no doubt about it.
5: You can. And and I think that um, whatever side of the political spectrum you're on, coming here is valuable because being engaged— Seeing people who really care. I mean, I have always worked on the assumption that even people that I disagreed with from a policy standpoint, everybody who decides to come here and make their lives here are patriots. And, you know, you can easily fight, man, some of the discussions I've heard are awesome, you know, <laughs> in terms of what they think should happen. Exactly. But everybody thinks of themselves as person who loves their country and they've come here and settled here because they want to make it better.
0: You know, we're talking to Roxanne Roberts from the Washington Post. I go back to the George Santayana quote, right? Those who cannot remember the past are doomed to repeat it. And here you see the past and you see where it was repeated. And there's so much perspective and context there that you always get blown away by it, right? I mean, here we are in the year 2018. The movie The Post is out, which celebrates, you know, the Washington Post's Fight to be able to publish the Pentagon Papers back, you know, back in the early '70s. I worked at, at at Newsweek then. I covered that story. I was here then, and Daniel Ellsberg was based in California. That's where I was based, and I come back here now, and it's all—it's like I never left. Yeah.
5: Well, also, all these stories—they're not abstract. Every single day, somebody in Washington is doing something that affects the lives of everybody in this country and beyond. You know, you can look at any newspaper headline and something is happening here that's going to affect millions, hundreds of millions of people. So it's not abstract.
0: Right. And if we're doing our job as journalists, we help the public connect the dots so they understand that process.
5: Well, I will now give a shout out for both The Post and for the press in general, which is that we work really, really, really hard to find the facts of any situation it isn't political it really isn't biased it's how much can we find out and then can we share that so voters can and make, make it relevant and make well it Everything seems to be relevant yeah, these but days. yeah,
0: but you have to make it relevant yes. that's, that's the connecting the dots part.
5: It's the connecting the dots, but everything that's going on is going to affect people's lives, and we work really, really hard to explain that, to say this is what's happening and this is why it's happening, which is why it's always stinging when we get attacked as fake news. I mean, that as a journalist, I always take offense at that. And you should, yes. I've worked really hard for three decades to do the very best... As possibly can to give you, and I think good newspapers and good media outlets do that.
0: And one of the ways I define my role as a journalist anybody can go chase a fire truck. My job is to try to explain the fire. Right. And, and
5: maybe prevent the fire from happening again. Oh,
0: listen, if you can learn a lesson and then apply it, you win. Yeah. You win. You know, we had the terrible hotel, not a hotel, but a high-rise fire in London. All those people died at the Grenville Towers. And there are lessons to be learned from that that can be applied in Baltimore and Chicago and Wisconsin. And we need to be able to report stories like that so that we're not just chasing the fire trucks. We are telling, telling people this is why it happened and this is how we can stop
5: it. I also think we're talking about this in very grand terms, but Washington is just fun. You know, going around the mall, going to the Museum of American History and seeing all the things that are part of the culture that we've created. That can just be fun and it's free, uh, you know.
0: Yeah, there's so much of. Here's the other thing: you can't, Washington doesn't compare to any other city because so much in Washington is free. Mm-hmm. I mean,
5: well, it's your taxpayer dollars. Yes, but word, I'm saying but
0: yeah. it's we, we. Well, we paid for it, right? Exactly. We should come enjoy it. Yeah. And there's so many museums here that people don't even know exist. You know, they they know about the Smithsonian, right? They know about you know a few other places, but there are so many.
5: I. That's why. To reiterate, I think going to the Supreme Court and going on that tour. Not a lot of people know that that's available to them, but it's the people that work there are great. The Capitol is a wonderful, it's gorgeous to see.
0: Total I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Washington is loaded with so many historic landmarks and museums that go way beyond the Smithsonian, way beyond the Jefferson or the Lincoln Memorial, way beyond Arlington National Cemetery. And I'm always, and as many times as I've come to Washington, and I'm here at least 20 to 25 times a year, I'm always amazed at what I don't know. And my next guest proves that point because he's the president of the historic Congressional Cemetery, Paul K. Williams. Who knew? Okay, I'm not going to say who's buried in Grant's tomb, but first of all, where is the cemetery?
6: Uh, The cemetery is located on Capitol Hill. We are just about 18 blocks due east of the U.S. Capitol building itself.
0: And... It's been operating how long? Uh,
6: over h- 210 years. We were founded in 1807.
0: So let me see if I get this straight. If I'm a member of Congress, I then have the right to be buried there?
6: Actually, you don't. Uh, we... <laughs> of course. As I said, <laughs> I,
0: <laughs> assumption is the mother of all screw-ups that I just screwed up. What? Tell me more.
6: It's named Congressional Cemetery only because we have about 160 congressmen buried there. Actually, anybody can be buried at Congressional Cemetery. We have presidents and residents alike. Our only requirement is... You have to be dead.
0: I understand. People are dying to get in.
6: They are dying to get in. Oh,
0: I had to do the joke. Okay, but it has historic significance.
6: It does. We have buried about seventy thousand people uh, over the last two hundred and plus years, and um, we have a lot of famous figures uh, that are buried there, and a lot of famous uh, artwork as part of their memorials.
0: So there, there are buildings there that you can actually tour.
6: There are. Yep, we have a gatehouse. We have a lovely chapel that was built in nineteen oh three. And uh, lots of really large mausoleums and and large art pieces that serve as memorials.
0: Well, mausoleums to me are are the tribute to the last gasp of ego. (laughs) That's very true. I mean, right? It's like, if I'm going... Let's build something.
6: And bigger than the guy next door.
0: (laughs) And is there one Usmanship going on over there?
6: Absolutely. There is, even today.
0: What's the biggest one you got?
6: We've got one that is um, being planned. It's going to be about 12 feet by 18 feet by 12 feet tall, all in solid granite. That's
0: a New York City apartment.
6: That is a New York City apartment for two people. Mm -hmm. Oh,
0: really? So they're planning ahead? Yes, they're planning ahead. All right. So who do you have that's the biggest one there now?
6: Uh, The biggest mausoleum? Yeah. Um, We probably have um, one that is a a mausoleum to Mr. Barrett. He was one of our old D.C. mayors in the 1890s. Wow. It's a nice piece of architecture.
0: And even though it's called the Congressional Cemetery, right, mm-hmm. it got that name because?
6: Because we have so many congressmen in it. Okay. Um, so
0: mm-hmm. who's the last congressman residing there?
6: I think the last congressman um, that was given – we do have um, congressman. there's a congressman, Walsh, from New York, that was buried there just a couple years ago.
0: You know, every time I go to a city and I get a chance to go to a cemetery, especially a historic city, one that goes back a couple of hundred years, the thing that's always been amazing to me is that, in those days at least, the gravestones told stories. You know, I go to one in Bermuda, it's always fascinating to me, because the gravestone will say, you know, 1705 to 1726... He was standing on a tower of, a, of, of the ship and fell down, and he lingered for four days, and then he died. They, they all chiseled that in.
6: <laughs> That's incredible, isn't it? And we encourage that to do, uh, even for people planning their memorials. A lot of people still alive um, create their own headstone before they die.
0: Okay, so the, from a storytelling perspective, mm-hmm. what are the stories we're going to learn out there?
6: Um, one of my favorites is Leonard Matlovich. Um, he died in 1988. Uh, however, he came out as a homosexual in 1972 on the cover of Time magazine in his Air Force uniform.
0: I, you know what? I remember that.
6: Yep. And it was quite poignant. He was dishonorably discharged.
0: In those days, he would have been. He
6: would have been. And so he put on his headstone. He said, when I was in Vietnam, they gave me a medal for killing two men and a discharge for loving one.
0: And that's on his headstone? That's right wow. on epitaph. Isn't that powerful? That is, Especially these days. Yeah. Wow, amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, any cost of admission?
6: No cost of admission. We are open dawn to dusk uh, every day of the week, and we're still an active cemetery, so we still have plots for sale.
0: And, of course, every Halloween, no. Absolutely. Please tell me no. Oh,
6: it's our most busiest month of the year.
0: Go ahead, talk to me. We have a me. lot of
6: fun. We, we do a, a two-weekend um, event. It's called Soul Strolls. <laughs> and we have a little cocktails in the chapel, get you liquored up a little bit.
0: Well, and, with enough liquor, everything's haunted.
6: That's right. And then we lead you around to five or six different um, plots for sale, and they have uh, costumed actors and actresses at each one kind of portraying their ultimate demise.
0: Okay, I've got to ask, <laughs> what does a plot cost?
6: It's just like real estate. Location, location, location.
0: Oh, no, stop.
6: It is. We range from 4000 to 8800 per plot. Really? Yeah. The most historic section is the most valuable.
0: Because oh, I, was, I was about to say, with a view.
6: With a view. The people do uh, choose their plots with a view. It's really kind of strange. Some it's
0: people, bizarre.
6: Some people even lay down to get the view looking upwards.
0: Well, they, they're test driving they're
6: it. They're test driving it to see what their... This is nuts. <laughs> their eternal view will be.
0: Man. <laughs> well... I've seen some incredible headstone gra- uh, engravings. Mm-hmm. You know you know what Merv Griffin's was? Yeah. I will not be right back.
6: I've seen him in California.
0: Yeah, uh-huh. right. Yeah. That was, Fantastic. That was, I will not be right back. Because <laughs> that's how he always... If you are continuing on to another
5: Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care.
0: I'm actually going to start renaming this show a cavalcade of museums. Most of my audience has never heard about, but need to see. And my next guest is purely an example of that. Uh, Virginia Trainer, Jenny, uh, curator of the National Museum of Women in the Arts. Welcome.
2: Thank you. Thank
0: How you. old is the museum?
2: The museum is uh, 30 years old. It opened in 1987.
0: Okay. Can I just say two words? Who knew? Because most people who when think they, when they, they want to see the Smithsonian, they want to see the monuments. This is a great place to go.
2: Yes. We're not on the mall. We're a little bit off the beaten track. Not on the
0: mall? Okay. How inconvenient. Yes. But you're what? 13th and, uh, 13th, New, York, and 13th New York Avenue? 13th and New
2: York Avenue Metro Center. Yep. Easy to get, get to. Yes. Yep.
0: What, first of all, when did, you know, we know you got started 30 years ago. How did it happen? Why?
2: That's a great story. And I'll try to present it in a nutshell. Um, our founder, Wilhelmina Holliday, uh, and her Great husband, name to begin with. Yes, Billy Billy to her friends, Billy Holiday, yes. um, and her husband, Wallace, were traveling in Europe in the late 1960s, I believe, and uh, were very struck by these wonderful still life paintings by a Flemish artist named Clara Peters from the 17th century that were in the Prado. And they were very taken by them, and they wanted to know more about Clara Peters, so they came back to Washington where they lived, and they tried to find out more about her, and they couldn't find anything and they realized they couldn't find out much about any women artists so from that point on they made it their mission to collect art by women and uh, you know decided in the early 1980s to to open a museum and started fundraising and in 1987 we opened our doors okay so
0: you beg the obvious question for me if I come to the museum will I see a Clara Pater's yes you will. there you go okay <laughs> <I guess laughs> and what will. is the painting
2: the painting uh, it's a it, we actually have we're lucky enough to have two they're, they're very rare. Um, there's not a lot known about Clara Pater's, and she didn't sign a lot of her works. Uh, we have one great still life by her that is a floral still life, the, the largest one that's known by her, and another one that is really the kind of uh, still life that she's known for. It's a kitchen still life, and it's a, a, a display of fish in a colander. Um, and there's a mischievous cat in it as well, trying to trying to get at the fish.
0: So she has a sense of humor. I think so. What's your big, other than the Clara Pater's, too, what's the biggest surprise at the museum in terms of what people might not be expecting to see?
2: Um, I think one of the biggest surprises, and it certainly was for me, when I started working there, we have a beautiful marble sculpture by Sarah Bernhardt.
0: Yeah, and nobody ever knew her as a sculptor.
2: Right. She's a very famous stage As an actress, actress of yeah. The, of the 19th century yeah. in Paris, yeah. But I had a lot of artist friends and was a very accomplished artist herself, so... Again, wow. who knew?
0: That's that's a surprise. Admission?
2: There is an admission fee, $10, which is reasonable, Reasonable. free for members.
0: And how much is a membership?
2: Uh, I believe a membership for the year is about $50.
0: Oh, come on. It's worth it.
2: <laughs> it's definitely worth it.
0: Because yeah. then you get multiple admissions, you can do the math.
2: Yeah, and you get reciprocal entry to other museums in the country.
0: Now, you have a permanent collection, but you also do a, a rotating exhibits as yes. well. So what's coming up?
2: Well, let me start with what we're closing on Sunday. It's, it's been a fantastic show, Magnetic Fields, Expanding American Abstraction, 1960s to Today.
0: Okay, we're going to miss that one.
2: Yes, unfortunately, but it's, uh, it's traveling on. It's going to St. Petersburg, Florida, and it's all abstract art by black women artists. Wow. Uh, the next show that we're opening at the beginning Wait, can of- Wait,
0: can I stop you right yeah, there? Yeah, sure. It's one thing to say you've got an exhibit of abstract art by, by black women artists. Mm-hmm. How did you find them? <laughs> Where were they?
2: They've been there all along. Really? Yes. Yeah. Working, dedicated to working in abstraction. But is this the
0: first time you brought everything together?
2: Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's it's really the first exhibition of its kind, and it's wonderful because it's intergenerational. So we have artists in the exhibition like Alma Thomas, who's a, a known figure here in Washington D.C., where she lived and worked. She was born in 1891, and the youngest artist in the exhibition was born in 1981. So.
0: And the new exhibition that's going to be opening?
2: The new exhibition opening at the beginning of March, just in time for Women's History Month, is called Women House. And it is coming from La Monnaie in Paris. And it is kind of a, I don't want to say a sequel, but it's inspired by the Woman House exhibition that was done in the 1970s in uh, California by Judy Chicago and William Shapiro. Riding along in my
6: automobile My baby beside me at the wheel, cruising and playing the radio,
7: with no particular place to go.
0: My next guest has one of the best jobs going in a building that most of you may be aware of vaguely, but most of you have never been, and I encourage you to go talk about a wealth of information in an exponential way. She's, well, the best way I can tell you is that she runs all the visitor services at the Library of Congress, Julia Adelphio, how are you?
3: Thank you, Peter. Welcome. And
0: I mean, when I say a repository of information, you are expanding by the hour.
3: We are. We uh, we acquire uh, books, documents, uh, you name it. But uh, ten to twenty thousand a day come in through a our day. doors. A day. A come in through our doors.
0: I thought I got and a lot we of mail. Process.
3: We process those and figure out what should stay in the collection and, what, and be available to researchers coming in and uh, what may uh, have other purposes. If
0: you've ever pictured a library, take that picture out of your mind now, because mm-hmm. that's not what the Library of Congress is.
3: You are right.
0: Right? You are this right. is not one woman sitting at a desk going, shh. <laughs> this is an amazing opportunity, not just to see the books, but to see the exhibits.
3: Correct. Well, you have to really start with our historic Thomas Jefferson building, which is just spectacular. It was built in 1897. It is open to anyone walking through the doors to tour, to visit, to explore. Uh, There are docents ready to engage with visitors. There are exhibitions.
0: And by the way, when you say docents ready to engage with visitors, part of any experience has to include great storytelling. And they're the storytellers.
3: Correct. They are. They are amazing storytellers. Uh, they have you, many of them have years of experience, decades of experience working with the library and guiding visitors through.
0: And by the way, they're excited to tell the stories. Exactly. Because they're living it.
3: Exactly. Okay.
0: So you've got Thomas. You have the Thomas Jefferson Building.
3: Thomas Jefferson Building. But then we also have the John Adams Building, and we have the James Madison Memorial Building. They but, hold. Reading rooms. There are 18 reading rooms in the Library of Congress in these three buildings. And
0: people come there, scholars come there to do their research, university students, journalists, you name it. Correct.
3: Right? Lawyers. Right. We have a huge law library. Focuses on many, many international law books.
0: And if I can encourage my audience to think about this, I do this myself. We live in a world where we're constantly distracted. We're constantly bombarded by electronic images and messages and phone calls and texts Uh, I have certain people I know who never even look up from their phone, but at least once a week, I will go wherever I happen to be to a public library. I will obviously turn off my phone and I can actually be in there for three hours or four hours. No one's calling me. I don't know what else is going on. I'm cut off intentionally, but now I'm clued in because now I have an opportunity to do something that we don't get an opportunity to do a lot. Just because of the culture these days.
3: Correct. Think. To still, still your brain. Yes. And give your time, your brain space to think. And, and what I will do
0: in the library, you're going to laugh at me, but I do this. I will go into the stacks or where the books are, and I will literally just go down with my eyes closed and just stop and pull one book out. Whatever that book is out, I'm going to look at it. Yeah. And you never get a chance to do that.
3: Uh, you don't in a normal everyday life. Yeah. Now, the Library of Congress is a little bit different right. in that you come in, you work with a reference librarian, you look at the catalog online, and somebody, a staff member, goes into the stacks and pulls whatever books you're, sure. you're looking. But the experience but, remains but the, the same. The experience remains the same in those reading rooms, no question about it. And the main reading room is a spectacular domed space. In fact, readers say they lose the first half of the day because they're just, they're just distracted by the Of course.
0: Now, being the librarian person that you are, Mm -hmm. you will get a kick out of this. I grew up in a a public library, which is a half a block from my house. And I always went in there, and and it was the Dewey Decimals, you know. It was the Dewey Decimal cards Mm -hmm. on the little wooden trays Mm -hmm. that you pulled out of the file cabinets. And that's how you looked for stuff up, you know. Well, I was at a store one day, an antique store. And what were they selling? The wooden Dewey Decimal file wooden cabinet with all the drawers, right? I bought it. You know what it is now? What? It's my wine cellar. Uh The wine bottles fit in perfectly, but it reminds me every time I pull out a bottle of wine, I'm in a library.
3: And hopefully you open a book as you pull out that bottle of wine. and I'm, sit a, and... I'm a
0: book nut. Yeah, I don't have a Kindle. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I have to hold it in my hand. I want to smell the pages. There's, right? And
3: there's something about walking into a library uh, stack area. And you you do. You smell the books. You smell the pages. You smell the, the everything about it.
0: There's something else that happens when you go into a library. And I don't know if you shared this, but I feel very unimportant and very small. <laughs> And 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 it, and it puts things in proper perspective. Yeah. All of a sudden, you're realizing, I don't care what I think. I don't care what I know. It's not enough. Yeah.
3: Well, and that's one of the exciting things about coming to the Library of Congress. I always say, especially again, I go back to the historic Thomas Jefferson building, I always say that. What surrounds you are writings. They, you've got writings above the windows. You've got names of authors, all of that. So it's a challenge to learn more. It's a challenge to know more. The charge for looking at this pamphlet is $3. The charge for looking at this
6: pamphlet and putting it back quickly is $4.
0: Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com/ travel today to get a free audiobook and 30 day trial. About Forty years ago, when I was working for Newsweek and came to Washington, D.C., the pickings were slim. It was steak and potatoes, followed by more steak and potatoes, maybe one really bad Chinese restaurant, and we were done. My next guest would beg to differ if I made that uh, uh, description today. She's basically the food editor of the Washingtonian Magazine. Anna Spiegel, how are you?
4: Good. I think you're having me on the show.
0: Well, listen, you heard my introduction. Yeah. It's true, Mm -hmm. but things have completely revolutionized around here. They really have. I mean, it's a foodie city now.
4: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: In what way, though?
4: You know, I think... Uh you know, there's a lot more food tourism here. Uh, people come come to eat in Washington, which I don't think you would ever say that.
0: No, they, they to come, <laughs> to, come to see the monuments, the museums, yeah. the buildings, and but they're actually coming specifically for the food.
4: Yeah, you have you know you have nationally ranked chefs. So you have um, well, Jose
0: Andres. He's well, here. Have,
4: yes, absolutely, and he's making you know headlines for both his food and his politics. Yes, I know. Um, and you know you have Aaron. Yes, Silver- you will
0: not find Jose's restaurant at the Trump Hotel.
4: No, no. absolutely not. Um, but you have Aaron Silverman, who grew up here. He came back. He opened Roses Luxury um, on Capitol Hill. Then, open pineapple and pearls um, has won James Beard Award on the cover of Bon Appetit. You have a lot of homegrown talent here, which I don't think you saw before.
0: No, and you had Eric repair here for a while. Yes, uh, but what, you know what I love is you go to the neighborhoods and you find great Indian food. Mm-hmm. You you find really authentic Vietnamese. Ethiopian, I mean, you you don't run out. Mm -hmm. It's a truly international city. It's not just some district of Columbia. Yeah,
4: absolutely. And some of the most exciting eating is outside the district borders. If you want to talk about wonderful, you know, the Vietnamese community, go to Eden Center. You can have...
0: Now, where's um, Eden Center?
4: Eden Center is in Falls Church. It's about 15 minutes... Falls Church, Virginia. Yes, it's about 15 minutes from downtown. 20 minutes without traffic and it's it's a transporting experience you can go on a weekend and have you know wonderful pho on me um,
0: wonderful what
4: pho okay noodle soups um, <laughs> And you got, uh, you got to explain those for me now. <laughs> they're they're wonderful uh, soups heaped with herbs and and different kinds of meats. Um, but you can you could definitely go and and you know not hear anyone speaking English. Now,
0: one of the things you've written about that caught my eye was the Japanese tasting counter, mm-hmm, Kobo. Me. Yeah,
4: it's fantastic. It's um it's a modern Japanese tasting, so it's not the omakase, which is. Th- just the traditional chef prepares nigiri um you have these two really talented brother chefs uh, peter and handry tijan and they put together you know these seasonal artful meals where you'll might start with a kombu smoked tea and then have a wagyu katsu sando which is one of our best dishes we had this year that's beef yes it's beef it's a5 uh, Japanese Wagyu, um, some of the highest grade beef in the world that they deep fry and put in a little sauce That's beef
0: that has its own personal masseuse.
4: Yes. <laughs> so yeah, it's and then you have beautiful sushi and um, sashimi, so it's really something special. But it's
0: a totally tasting counter. It's a There's t- no menu. They just, whatever they want to give mm-hmm.
4: you. Yeah, it's, it's about six seats, and they actually do a vegan tasting as well, two nights of the week. I remember
0: going to a sushi place in L.A., where it was sort of like the soup Nazi, mm-hmm. where he had a sign on the window saying, No California roll, no spicy tuna roll, don't ask.
4: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like that. I mean, it's inside a bigger Japanese restaurant where you can get, you know, the rolls and a more American. Oh, so this is like the food. back room. Mm-hmm. Okay, exactly. now we so, got it. It's a lot of fun.
0: What's the most surprising new restaurant development here in town for you?
4: Um, I think, you know, but something tremendous that just opened is the Wharf. Um, yeah, we
0: you know, we I've talked about that before on the show, mm-hmm. things that are coming up along the Potomac.
4: It's amazing. I mean, I think because D.C., you have the height restriction. We build out instead of up.
0: Yeah, there's a height restriction that no building here can be taller than the Capitol, mm-hmm. which I believe is a great idea.
4: Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's done a lot for also the growth of different neighborhoods here. And, you know, you see chefs definitely spreading out from the center of the city um the wharf you know you've seen uh, we've seen a lot of development on all waterfronts georgetown national harbor national harbor navy yard around the uh, where the baseball stadium is um the wharf debuted in october and so far you know you have these some of the best chefs in washington and in the country opening wonderful restaurants there
0: and the thing is, Washington was never known really as a walking city, but you mm-hmm. can walk.
4: Absolutely, you can walk easily. It's for, I think from the National Mall to the Wharf, it's about twelve minutes.
0: That's easy. Yeah,
4: and so it's, and it's wonderful for tourism, I and mean, you have all these great boating docks where you can rent kayaks when it's nice weather. You have an ice rink in the winter. Have
0: you done kayaking?
4: I have gone kayaking on the Potomac. I used to. I used to kayak.
0: What do you mean, used to kayak? Well,
4: I, I used to race kayaks.
0: Oh, see now you see, you buried the lead on me.
4: (laughs) You're a kayak racer. I used to, and you gave it up. I did. I I gave it up for. I played field hockey instead in college. So, but I used to race kayaks on the Potomac. It's a lot of fun.
0: When was the last time you were on a kayak? Or I should ask you, when was the last time you were on the Potomac? This summer. So you did get back out. Yeah. Okay. I just don't
4: go as fast as I used to.
0: (laughs) But you still go. (laughs) Yes. That's the key. Believe me, that's the key. You still go. (laughs) Yes. So if someone's visiting you here in DC, they've never been here before. Mm -hmm. Where are you going to take them? That's going to really surprise them. Um, that they're not expecting?
4: You know, I think when we touched on it before is I might take them outside of, you know, D.C. itself, go to the Eden Center in Falls Church. There's an amazing restaurant. There's tons of amazing restaurants there. It's packed with restaurants. But there's a great place called Hai Duong, um, which has, you know, beautiful Vietnamese dill fish. You can get a cold Heineken. They basically only have Heineken for some reason. Um, and it really just feels something like really different that's really special to hear.
0: Got it. Now, is there a kind of food that's not in D.C.?
4: I think you know, you can definitely argue that you know, despite as much uh, Nashville-style hot chicken is prol- proliferated, we don't really have great Nashville hot chicken.
0: What about barbecue?
4: There's decent barbecue. Federalist Pig uh, just opened last year, I believe, in Adams Morgan. Um, it's a fine, former fine dining chef, uh, Rob Sonderman, turned pitmaster, and he puts out amazing barbecue.
0: I love it. Turned pit master. <laughs> I didn't know that was a, an official designation. Yes. That's a, Does uh, he wear a badge? No. <laughs> no. Okay, now, my producer Alessandra is going to go to dinner tonight at an Afghan restaurant.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now... You know, we used to joke all the time when we were being politically incorrect that, you know, what could you possibly eat in Afghanistan or Ethiopia? It's like, you know, but the answer is there's a there's a huge, long tradition there of tremendous cuisine.
4: Absolutely. And Lapis, the restaurant, um, it's a you know family who wanted to modernize, uh, you know, the cuisine of their home country. Um, the mother still um, cooks. And um, they had a French restaurant called Napoleon. And then they decided, hey, we're going to introduce Washingtonians to what real Afghan food can be. Um, and so there's lots of vegetables, lots of you know lighter preparations. It's not just all heavy meats. Um, and it's a really innovative place.
0: Now, going back 40 years ago, of course, Washington, that was a drinking town. It was the three martini lunch. Now you've got a, 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 an artisanal bar scene here that's unreal.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we've been a we've really led um, in cocktails for quite a long time. We have. Not, I love
0: that uh, we've, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we've actually <laughs> led the way in cocktails here.
4: <laughs> no, it's true though. I mean, we have. I think you know, D.C. is just coming up in terms of the national scene of restaurants, but there's some nationally ranked bars that are really fantastic. You have. Have um, you been to Jack Rose? Tell me. It's in Asmorgan. It is the biggest whiskey bar in the Western Hemisphere.
0: Whoa. Um, I want to go because I love single malls. It's
4: an amazing. Uh, the owner, Bill Thomas, is an incredible collector, and he has built just this amazing collection of, you know, American whiskeys, uh, scotches. Japanese, and, too. Everything. Yeah, everything. And it, you find there things you won't find anywhere else. He has people who fly in from, you know, other parts of the country just to go to Rose.
0: And where's Jack Rose?
4: It's in Adams Morgan at 18th Street So that's not too far. No. Oh, my no, God. It's really wonderful. So
0: repeat after me. Designated driver. Yes,
4: exactly. And you have to go to the... Um, they have a cocktail bar in their basement called Dram and Grain where, you know, oftentimes you have to make a reservation, but their drinks are phenomenal.
0: And you can survive. And you can survive.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Hello?
6: Uh, this is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. It's a motor running.
0: We've been talking a lot about restaurants and food in Washington, D.C. We haven't talked about hotels and food in Washington, D.C., and for a pretty good reason. For many, many years, food at a hotel was an afterthought. Food at a hotel was the last resort uh, because most people didn't eat there. It was sort of, you know, roast beef and potatoes, and and the hotel restaurant basically was sort of like an addendum, but it wasn't really a destination. All of that has changed. You look around hotels in Washington, D.C. now, they have signature restaurants, that are not only drawing in visitors, but the locals too. And joining me now, the executive chef right here at the St. Regis, uh, Sébastien Giannini. How are you, sir? Good, thank you. Now, I know you're the new kid on the block, but before this you came from the south of France, and then you were in Montreal. Different approach here in Washington, isn't it? Yes. In what way is it different?
8: Because, you know, the Washingtonians, they prefer chef in the kitchen. Not really celebrity chef arrive from another way.
0: They want to see you. They want to yeah. know you're here. Yeah. It's they want very to. They, they want to have a conversation. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So now let's take that to the next level. What do they want to talk about?
8: Because they, they want to see the products and local products on the plates. Because we can find the same products we have in South of France, but here from Virginia, from Maryland, or Chesapeake Bay, for example. And this is very interesting because with the French base, with the local product, American, we can do very beautiful thing.
0: You know, when you think about local produce, and, and you're from France, so we can talk about this. Somebody tells me where are the best, where's the best butter? It's like it's in France. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it is. Cool. Yeah. I know. You know, you want to, you want the best oysters? Well, I, I have, you'd have a tough time talking to me out of New Zealand. The rock oysters there, although you've got some pretty good oysters in France as well. So, here you are. In the district. so you've got Virginia, you've got Maryland, you got Washington D.C., you got Pennsylvania. You, you know, you've got a lot of sources here, absolutely, as opposed to France, yeah. right? Yes. So where are, you, where are you getting things from?
8: For example, you know, we have a beautiful uh, cheese from Accident in Maryland. It's goat cheese, very small exportation, but it's very tasty, like the same in south of France in Nice. And this is very interesting because the people they know how to do the right thing. This is why you know it's the same for the beef. With in in Maryland, it's, it's very good quality.
0: And it doesn't have to travel very far.
8: Yes, this is very important for us.
0: Now, when it comes to cheese, I'm one of those guys, the creamier and the stinkier, the better. The more it smells, the more it's creamy, count me in. Are they making great, creamy, stinky cheese in the U.S.? Yes, sir. Where?
8: In Maryland. <laughs> in Maryland. Yeah.
0: What kind of cheese are they making?
8: You know, it's... They have an uh, exploitation in small farm, and it's it's beautiful because it's like, a, we call this camembert, but it's not a camembert. It's like the brie, you know, it's a fondant.
0: But it's very it's very creamy.
8: Yes, very creamy.
0: So like 150% butter fat.
8: 90, yeah, 93%. 93%. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's rich.
8: Yeah, very rich. Yeah. Like the butter in Vermont, you know, we have 86 93%, but we can do this. And
0: then you've got something to work with. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So... Does that mean your croissants that are baked here are very buttery?
8: We we work with a small boulangerie in Georgetown called Christophe. It's the same town of me in south of France, you know. And Christophe is from La Croix Valmer, if you know Saint Tropez and the region La Croix Valmer. And we have um, a specific partnership because he delivers just us. And we have the baguette, the pita la dière, the small quiche arrive because we want these products and we select this one.
0: Well, I want to cons- I want to compliment you on the French fries here at the hotel because I know the French fries at Jimmy's, mm-hmm. right? You know Jimmy's yeah. at Saint-Tropez, yeah. right?
8: Your or Club Cl- 55. Club 55, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: And what are you doing differently with the, with, the, with the fries here? Anything at all?
8: No, we poach two times because it's better, you know. We need more crispy. And very important thing when you have your potatoes, never keep this on the fridge because the sugar continue to grow. This is why you need to keep your potatoes out of the fridge to be sure you know the sugar stay at the same level. Really? Because if you keep this on the fridge, the sugar continue to grow.
0: Well, I will not have enough sugar in my French fries. <laughs> I refuse. So but
8: you say you, you, you do
0: something twice with
8: the French fries? Yeah. What do you do? Because we poach one time, one hundred and twenty, and after we finish one hundred and eighty. And it's perfect.
0: And then then the truffles come in. Yeah. Then the parmesan comes in. Yeah. Yeah.
8: And a little bit of parsley.
0: A little bit of parsley, I saw that. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yep. See, I hate ketchup, but I'll put aioli. Yeah. Dip Good it in one. the aioli sauce.
8: The really one, eh? Huh? The really one with the potatoes, yeah. the pilon, See? olive oil. Ay, ay, ay. Magnifique. Ay, ay, ay. Uh, ay, 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 ay. C'est <laughs> magnifique. The, the real one from from the region of South of France, you know. The...
0: So what did you bring from the South of France to this
8: hotel? I think all of the french base because I grew up in south of France, you know. When I was a child with my grandmother, we, I have the, the memory, you know, to go on the market and to cook after with my grandmother because we have all of the fresh products. And this is the same way we have here, because we have just to know the products, to select them, and to be sure we, we cook and we prepare them correctly.
0: And that's what you do.
8: Yeah, thank you.
0: With 93% butter. Yes. Yeah, see, now we're Sometimes, talking.
8: Sometimes perhaps we put a little bit more.
1: Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important
4: safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is
1: the flight attendants. Please look at one now.
0: without asking my next guest to weigh in on a couple of things because these guys know all things food and all things Washington. And it's, what's, what's amazing about it is they really know their stuff and and they and how long have you guys been together now?
9: How long have we been faking it? Oh. <laughs> uh, We've we been together yeah. 25 years.
0: So as I said, somebody's faking it. The only <laughs> thing good. I know
9: about.
10: Well, faking is... it is for another show. That's right. David
0: <laughs> David and Nikki Nellis, welcome back. Glad Thank glad you for back. having us. I mean and you know earlier in the show we were you know we we're talking about it's, it's an explosion of a food scene now. And some people might even argue that people come to Washington just for the food
10: now. I don't think there's an argument to that. Yeah. The, um, you have uh, people coming internationally from all over the world to open up restaurants here. There is a huge uh, and eager dining population. This is a travel destination. I don't need to tell you that already. Right, right. So why wouldn't you have the food to go with it? Um, and you've got great local chefs. Uh, Opening up new concepts here every day Great
9: local shows who don't
0: have their own television shows Oh
10: yeah, well I think a lot of that is kind of Hey man,
9: if we don't have a television show (laughs) They don't have a television show
10: But I think (laughs) some of that is also I think there's a pendulum swing with that I feel like, you know, maybe five or six years ago, everybody was like, oh, I got to be on TV. I got to be on Top Chef. But it's not proving that that's going to necessarily make you the big bucks. And uh, what a lot of the chefs are doing, I think Mike Isabella is an incredible example. Now he was on Top Chef.
0: But he came back.
10: But he's back in DC. He's got an empire. It's primarily DC based. He just opened up Isabella Eatery out in Tyson's Corner. And if anybody comes to DC and wants to see what Mike is doing, it's a food hall completely dedicated to all of Mike Isabella's concepts.
0: By the way, you mentioned Tyson's Corner. Five years ago, it was a desert out there in terms of food.
9: No. Yeah. More years than that But I mean Tyson's Corner Center Is uh, I think The third largest mall In the country And has been And the Tyson's Galleria It was a food desert in That's what I'm saying That's Oh yeah, what I'm saying. absolutely Yes Isabella's eatery Is unbelievable It's like I don't even know How to well, put it It's it, like I mean, fine dining On steroids out there But
10: there's fast casual You can go and have coffee You can sit on a couch And work There's an ice cream shop There's every single One of his restaurants A rose And graffiato You get pizza requiem. You can get Spanish Requin Oysters Champagne Pepita for tacos and it's beautifully done. Uh, anyway, it's great.
0: I got to ask you guys this because mm-hmm. you know we're, we're coming up on Valentine's Day, which I happen to think is one of the most oh, overrated. You just
9: the surprise.
10: <laughs> there is no surprise. <laughs> we don't let, do surprises. Let me, let me finish. <laughs> okay, let me finish. Yeah, please. One of the
0: most overrated, overhyped, overpriced days of the year in the restaurant business.
10: Um. Yes. Yes. But I think there's ways. To for people, okay. So here's the thing about Valentine's Day, for people <laughs>
0: from somebody who's been together for 25 years. Well, there's
10: that, but not only. I mean, for somebody who covers the food and wine industry right. the way we do, listen, there are lots of people who don't go out to dinner or brunch or lunch on a regular basis. This is it. This is their moment. They think Valentine's Day is the day to experience it. But it's
0: a contrivance, isn't it? Well. It's gonna, what we call a retail
9: holiday. But, it's,
10: but I'm also not going to be the ones to tell them that. What I would recommend, though, is if you you really feel that going to a restaurant on Valentine's Day is what you want to do, then make that experience yours so you're not disappointed. Um, restaurants are usually overwhelmed on Valentine's Day. Right. Everybody's there. I would recommend, instead of doing a crazy dinner or something super expensive, why not do a really long and leisurely lunch or push it off till brunch to that weekend?
0: Well, that's t- what I'm saying. It doesn't have to be On February 14th
10: I don't think so Because
0: February 14th Is to me like Black Friday For people who want To be romantic Good luck
10: Right yeah, I don't. For disagree. some people,
9: that'd be like opening your your Christmas presents on December twenty eighth. They want the moment at the moment.
0: But wait, no, wait, hold on. Mm-hmm. Opening your Christmas presents on December twenty fifth is fine because you're doing it in your house. You don't have to wait in line. Nobody's giving you a beeper.
10: I mean, we don't and, care. Yeah, we're with you on it. Okay. I agree.
9: We celebrate Hanukkah.
10: So, but who cares. Okay, fine. as a um, as a proponent of well, what's on Christmas
0: going, Eve, I know where you are. You're a Chinese.
10: Right? <laughs> exactly. We're a Chinese. we <laughs> at the Kennedy
9: center, <laughs> exactly. or maybe at the movies.
10: <laughs> but. Uh, to be fair for the restaurant industry that is a a major night for them so a lot oh I,
0: I know it's for them right i want to know what's for me what's because, for you yeah because i don't want to go stand in line i everybody they all triple book Mm-hmm. You know, there, nobody not, gives they up. don't th-
10: all triple Well,
0: nobody gives up the table when they think they're going to give up the table mm-hmm. when they're going, darling. There's something I'd love to tell you. <laughs> this check was fifty thousand dollars more than I thought it was going to be. And what the we hell have was- to
9: wash dishes? <laughs> you
10: have a credit card.
0: Right. Roll your sleeves. I'll up. always love you, but I'll miss you terribly. <laughs> well, yes. then
10: my recommendation to you would be to do your homework. And there are yeah. certainly places, especially in the D three market, that don't do that and are not looking to burn and churn the guests who come in and are looking to provide their guests a lovely ah, did you evening. Hear it?
9: Burn and churn. I like that
0: That's,
10: mm-hmm. right.
9: That's what she's done to me Burn me and churn.
0: Alright so speaking of burning and churning mm-hmm. I have an axe to pick and grind And not with you guys mm-hmm. But with the restaurant industry And this is what it is What is a restaurant reservation If not an implied contract Hold on to that for a second mm-hmm. Right Which restaurants don't honor The way they're supposed to Because when I get there For my 8 o'clock reservation And the table's not ready They make me go to the bar mm-hmm. I don't want to go to the bar But now I go to the bar Okay And I'm going to be there I'll buy a drink and then when the table is ready, oh I'm sorry, sir, you have to settle here first. And so like I'm a fugitive from justice in the witness relocation program. I'm only going eighty feet into the into the dining room. Mm-hmm. I'll tip the bartender too, don't worry about it, but don't make me stop and pay.
9: Not may, I, all,
10: may I take that? Well, not
9: all restaurants do that.
10: Well, sure. I have to be honest with you, I'd like to know where you're dining because most <laughs> better quality restaurants would say, Don't worry, we'll put that right on your tab.
9: I and- have not
0: had the, I must tell you, I have not that had that happen to me in twenty years. Interesting. If I'm ho- if I'm owning the restaurant and you show up for the 8 o'clock reservation and it's not ready, drinks are on me.
10: I'm with you. Well, I think there's a grace period. I believe that if you get to the restaurant and you get there at 8 o'clock and somebody is settling their bill for the- your table, I mean, they can't kick that table out. I'm with you. But Do you understand? we're talking
0: beyond we 15, 20 minutes. No, no, no. At that got-
10: point, a drink should be bought. Yeah. Somebody should make. Uh, somebody should touch you. I don't mean touch you physically. I mean like they oh, touch please. tables. <laughs> you know, a general manager or the host or hostess should yeah. come up to you and say... We know we're, we're running behind here. That is on me.
0: And you see, the lesson that I think should be learned is, when you do that, you're engendering such goodwill, well,
10: it's hospitality. Pe- people can't wait to come
0: back. But there's also yes.
9: the, the flip side problem with that. Other people the people who don't show. The sound. The people that are just sitting there camped out, like, you know, they feel they own the table. In Italy, except at the very best restaurants, the owner or the maitre d' will walk up to you and they say, it's fuori che sole. It means outside, there's the sun. Like, <laughs> Get the hell yeah. out of that chair it's and go. go look at the sun. I don't care if it's midnight. Go that's, look at the sun. That's
10: not really hospitable though that's, I not, what hospitable, I that's not what the I mean, hospitality at some point, industry no no is. you
0: reach a certain point of diminishing <laughs> returns i get up, that
9: get it out of that chair and go
10: away
0: so yeah. why don't we open a restaurant saying get in eat get out
10: <laughs> well that's why what we? uh, ramen shops are you know in japan ramen shop. you go in you slurp your noodles, you get out. They're standing right behind you, and that's been slurp very... and burp. I got it right. Yeah. So in D.C., that's been hard for slurp the few ramen burp, shops that have, have opened. You like that?
9: Come on, slurp and burp. I've been looking for another thing.
10: <laughs> but in D.C., the ramen shops that I've opened <laughs> yeah. have had an issue because they're trying to be authentic, but people want to. They want an appetizer. They want a cocktail. That's not the concept. The concept is you go in, you have your ramen, you get out. And it's not working in D.C. I don't think it's working anywhere in the states. That's not how people eat here.
8: Well, then
0: start a new restaurant here called Slow Ramen.
10: Slow Ramen, Very come on, cool.
0: Slow Ramen, baby. For slow daily. <laughs> that's right. So okay, before we run out of time, mm-hmm. you guys are always on the cutting edge. Give me the three hot restaurants in Washington right now, for whatever reason you think they're hot.
9: Well, you can give two, and I get to give it. Okay.
10: So, uh, right now, The Wharf is the hottest area in D.C. Yep. Uh, Del Mar. Everybody's
9: talking
0: about that. Yeah. I
10: mean, Fabio Trabocchi and Maria Trabocchi's Del Mar, uh, it's their Spanish highest end restaurant. It's a absolute gem and jewel, an amazing addition to the city. It's really, really fabulous. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of new restaurants. No, no you get, get one more. It. Okay, you get one more. Uh, the next one I'm going to say is uh, the Salt Line oh. that opened. Uh, did I take your restaurant. It opened on <laughs> the restaurant. It opened in the Navy Yard. It's um, Kyle mm-hmm. Bailey's. Uh, it's an ode to New England. It's fun. It's fabulous. It's delicious. But, Go what ahead. Do you,
0: but wait, wait, wait! What am I going to order there? Oh,
10: oh, God. Um, so they do these things called stuffies, or like clams stuffed with, um, you know, like breading and clams. It's so yummy and delicious. Oh, I like that. Uh, great. Got, he, uh, go ahead. And
9: he's got a burger there oh, it's that huge. will blow the top of your head off. Yeah, it's really fabulous. delicious. It's I want
0: to go back burger. to the stuffies. Wait.
10: Yeah, so stuffies are a New England treat. They're a clam, and they, it's like a breading mixture mixed with chopped clams, Ooh. and uh, they bake it. It's, I'm there. Yeah, it's delicious. All right, so and, all right line, David. I'll come give on.
9: you one more, and it's not brand new, but convivial is a fabulous recipe. Cedric Maupier. Shaw.
10: There's so much going on in the Shaw neighborhood, too. So, very exciting. Where are the wagons? The wagon is too slow. Can't you ride?
1: It's not that he can't ride.
6: How is it you put it home?
1: They're dangerous at both ends and crafty in the middle. How do I want anything with a mind of its own bobbing about between my legs?
0: General Mandrew on his third trip to Washington on his third tour of duty, uh, Joseph Mattioli. How are you, sir?
7: I'm well. Thank you, Peter. You happy to be back in D.C.? Yes, of course. I am. um, You know, third time in Washington, D.C. It's just an exciting time to be in Washington, D.C. Has there ever been a time that it wasn't exciting to be in Washington? It was always. Let's put it that way. Yeah. But, you know, um, the landscape has changed specifically when you talk about the food and beverage and, you know, the new hotels and, you know, it's just exciting.
0: Well, you know, you mentioned food and beverage and I said this earlier in the show but it bears repeating. If you said the word hotel and restaurant in the past, people never paid attention because a restaurant and a hotel was something they had to have and maybe you ate there because you had to and the menu was limiting to, you know, prime ribbon potatoes and stuff like that. Not anymore.
7: Well since then lots have changed, you know, in the hotel now you would say they're much more trendy. The restaurant they're up to par, and you know my background is culinary, and so I can talk about it. I remember yeah. in the eighties. I mean, yes, you correct the hotel menu, the dining was quite boring. Now it's different because you know we wanted to be you know part of the community, the restaurant right. community, uh, and
0: I mean not just from a revenue stream, but from a cultural stream. You want lo- you want local traffic,
7: exactly. You know, and that's uh, that's. Where well, what we do the best now, you know, I mean, we, um, you know, when you work in the hotel, we are able to afford, you know, talented uh, chefs and professionals that are rich in cuisine and very creative and passionate, and you know, the the menus are exciting and it's just beautiful food, huh? and uh, up, up to par, I would say.
0: You know, hotel guests usually never picked the hotel restaurant as their first choice. You're now starting to see a lot of hotel guests, not just at
7: this hotel, but many hotels, saying, you know what, we're eating in the hotel tonight because it's that good. And the reason of that uh, is because, first of all, the price point are there. And, you know, in hotels, we're very consistent on our service delivery always because that's a promise for our customer because they come to the hotel. And now the food and beverage, the restaurant, is a social show space for our client if you come from outside or if you stay at the hotel this is our journey and that's why now you see many wonderful restaurants in the hotels now in the United States you know I'll I'll clue you in on a little secret for me
0: over the last 30 years I didn't do it this year but over the last 30 years if somebody said to me oh where should we go for you know we don't really have family around and we want to do Thanksgiving dinner or where should I go for Christmas dinner with my family my family and I always went to a hotel because, first of all, nobody was slaving in the kitchen. The hotels are always going to be open 24-7, and they
7: wanted to do a, a really wonderful dinner for their own employees. Of course. And, you know, and that's a great point you brought up. And just to uh, put a bow on everything, you know, in the hotel, we love to follow the traditions. When you talk about Thanksgiving and when you talk about Christmas— we like to create a home for our client to come and they dine with us and they use our hotel. It's like being home, right. but we truly are serious and following the traditional holiday events and festive, you know. And we do that well, always. So now, what have you done to ramp up the food here? <clears throat> so very simple. Uh, well, we introduced a new brunch at uh, my restaurant here, and uh, the brunch is not. The typical branch that you see, chef and dishes, big bowls of salad, etc. No. That's, you have, that's
0: actually what I was expecting. You to know, say.
7: you have small plates, hot appetizer, beautiful charcuterie corner, a seafood corner. So, what we did, we created, created some stations. And why station? Because that's interactive, because people like to go and mingle there or in that station enjoy the seafood or enjoy the dessert, but also the plated entrees. We have eight plated entrees done as well that changes every Sunday. So we, we are keeping with the so season. when you say
0: plated entrees, you talk about in addition to the buffet. Correct. You can order off that menu.
7: Yes. And what we do, we play with the seasonality of the product because we're using, here is a mecca of the product with the Amish. You have cheese, you have beautiful cheeses, vegetable fruits that are, and, and then the seashore. Unbelievable. So we like to play with the food you know, brunch—it's not the traditional brunch anymore. It's a little bit—it's eleva- elevated but interactive. Let's put it that way. We have beautiful bloody mary station. As you come into the restaurant, well, after another and of those,
0: you don't have to worry about the food. No,
7: and you know what's 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 very cool about the station is an interactive spa- station. You can build your bloody mary. You know, what I mean, it's, it's just—and that's what I mean about playing with the food. It's not complicated. It's simple, but let me tell you, it's. Outstanding. So, people are making their own Bloody Marys? Yes, with the help of the bartender. And you know. At and the after Sant- the
0: third drink, you're going to have to have the help of the bartender anyway. Yes, we
7: have a wheelchair coming for you. <laughs> but you know, every Sunday we change, uh, we add a Bloody Mary because at the St. Regis around the around the globe, each of the St. Regis have a Bloody Mary. Our Bloody Mary is called the Capital Mary, okay? So, just to give you a little hand. I you got know, it. So, that's what we do best. And it's just to have some fun. You've been listening
3: to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world.
0: If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.